Well, good evening. Made it to the last night of the gospel meeting and uh, appreciate the presence of each one here this evening. If you have your Bibles with you, maybe go ahead and, and begin turning to James chapter 1 will be the kickoff point for our lesson this evening. We're going to bounce around a little bit tonight in our lesson. We're going to bounce around in our Bibles, both in the Old and the New Testament. So I'd encourage you to take your Bibles and, and be prepared to follow along. But before we get into our lesson, I wanted to make some closing remarks to uh, to the week that we've had, to the gospel meeting that we've had. And I'm just so thankful to have been a part of this meeting. You know, Josh had mentioned it was short notice and... And uh, I am just thankful that uh, you, brethren, reached out and gave me a call and, and that my schedule allowed me to come here and to uh, to be a part of this meeting. At the, many of you I did not know until this point and, and uh, certainly was able to get to know a lot of you uh, good people and, and spent some time in some of your homes. And, and for that, I am grateful. And I'm so very thankful for, for Randy and Janet for hosting me and putting up with me Um their family, uh, we, we, we've, uh, we've known each other for a long time. We haven't spent a, a lot of time together. I know that, uh, they, they spent a lot, a lot more time with my mom and dad through the years, but, uh, it certainly was good to spend some time with you all and catch up on some family history. And, you know, they told me when I, when I came that they were going to stick me down in the dungeon. I don't know if you've ever been to Randy and Janet's house. But once I got in the dungeon, I didn't ask for an upgrade. I liked it. <laughs> that was a that was a great place to stay, and I am thankful for that. And and uh, and, and I just wanted to say thank you, Randy and Janet. Uh, you know, our families share a lot in common. We, uh, you know, the fact that we are related, uh, the fact that we're Kentucky fans, we that we have that passion. But most of all, the fact that we share this great faith in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And for that, uh, I have a special bond to you all for that. Thank you all for having me, and I appreciate that that very much. To those of you who had me in your homes this week, those of you who have taken me to the restaurants and taken me out to eat, I am extremely grateful for that. Uh, I had a great time. There was a lot of good food. That potluck, or do you all call that a pitch in here? I, 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 is pot potluck pitch in whatever back home I think we call it a pitch in you know uh, wherever it was we gathered and had a bunch of food that 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 was a good time and so I, I am grateful for that and so uh, I wanted to to thank you all those of you who took the time to have me in your homes and and let me also say that I enjoyed uh, my time with Josh I enjoyed. Josh and I got together today for lunch, and we we were there a couple hours today. And, and brother, that was that, that was some good times. That was some good conversations. And 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 I'll tell you what, just just the opportunity to to bond together like that with a brother in Christ, and and I, I can tell you, I've got a lot of respect for your gospel preacher here, and I know that he has a passion for this congregation. And and I pray that this group will rally around him and raise his hands up for the Lord and continue to uh, to allow him to do this good work in this community because I know that him and his wife, his good wife, are are committed to this work. I've talked to them. I know that they are they value the relationships they have with each and every one of you. And I'm excited about the future for you all at this congregation. And I'm. I look forward to hearing many good things for years to come. Uh, I also wanted to point out too that that uh, 
I, I got to spend some time over at Danny's house the other night, and, and I'm hopeful. I've got a son that speaks Spanish, and I'm hopeful that this summer or you know sometime soon that he's going to be able to accompany uh, Danny and his work down to South America. And I know that he'd be able to learn a lot from you, and uh, it, it would be a great experience. And I've talked with him about that, and he asked me, he said, Dad, when you go up there and you talk to Danny, he said, make sure you mention that, that I really want to go. And I said, I, I, I'll do that, that very thing. Uh, and so I, I appreciate the stance that this congregation has taken in supporting Danny and that good work. We need more men like that to be able to, to go out and do to preach the gospel in areas that the gospel just isn't preached in. And so uh, I'm, um, I'm excited about your work in, in, in the future, and I appreciate that very much. Uh, as I leave here tonight, I, I would petition your prayers on my behalf. It's, it is about a four-and-a-half drive, hour drive, and, and, um, and as I leave here tonight, my prayer for this congregation is, is that Lakeside will not only grow in unity, and that they will grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, but that you as a congregation will have a mind to work. I'm going to tell you something. If, if you want to see a difference in a community, it always involves work. Rolling up the sleeves, going out into the community, and reaching those lost souls that are desperate to make some changes in their life. And I know that many of you have the mindset to do that. And uh, I, I look forward to hearing good things from this congregation for many years to come. James chapter 1 is a very interesting passage. And if you were to ask me, if someone was to ask me, what do you think the most controversial passage in all of the New Testament is? Which passage sticks out to you as being a passage that is is more controversial than any other passage? I would have to go to James chapter 1 and verse 2. Not that it is doctrinally controversial, not that it is scripturally controversial, but the fact that James chapter 1 and verse 2 is a passage that to me just isn't logical. What James is affirming here in this verse just doesn't make any sense to me. James says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith works patience or produces patience, as some translations may say. I got to tell you, that's a very difficult concept for us to wrap our heads around. How many of us, how often though, can we be in the middle of trials and temptations and tribulations and find any sort of rationale in it? I mean, you take someone who's lost a loved one, how can they in the midst of that trial find any comfort in that trial itself? How can someone who has lost a job, how can someone who is who has fallen on hard times look at this passage and count it all joy because they are in that trial? I believe the point that James is trying to get across to us in this passage, though, is that true faith is never known until it's tested. True faith doesn't even exist until it is challenged and until it is proven. The Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7 that we walk by faith and not by sight. And you know, that's sometimes hard for us to do, isn't it? 
Sometimes we want to be a lot like Gideon in the Old Testament. We want to put our our, our virtual fleece out in the in, in the backyard, and we want to beg God for a sign. We become so disturbed by our circumstances that we want to beg God to show us a sign. And oftentimes we try to test God in this manner, don't we? We think to ourselves, well, you know, if my test results come back and they're positive, then I'm going to take that as a sign from God that He approves of my lifestyle. Or you have someone say, well, if I get that promotion at work with it, then I'm going to take that as a sign from God that, 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 that He is, a, uh, he, he, he agrees with, with, with my marriage or He agrees with, with the decision that I've made in my life. One of the hardest things that I believe for mankind to do is to back off and let God be God, isn't it? It's hard for us just to back off and let God be God. We get so busy trying to explain God and we get so busy trying to harmonize divine facts with our human perception that we often fall short. A great Old Testament example of this is found in Genesis chapter 16. When God came to Abraham and Sarah and He told them that in their elderly age that they would have a child and through that child many nations would be born. And there was a long period of time that had elapsed and Sarah lost her patience. And in Genesis chapter 16, she decides that she's just going to help God with the situation. She's just going to help God be God. And so what she did is she, she she told Abraham, I want you to go into my maidservant and we're going to get this thing done. We're going to make God's promise real. i got to tell you, some of the old timers that I used to listen to in the pulpit, they would call this whittling on God's end of the stick. Trying to help God be God. We're, we've now ventured over into God's department here. Here is what we need to know, brethren. True faith is accepting divine facts even when it doesn't make any sense. That's what true faith is. You remember the passage over in Ecclesiastes chapter 11 and verse 5? When the Ecclesiastes writer said, As you do not know the way of the Spirit comes to the bones and in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the works of God who makes everything. I know that we talked about this passage the other night in the context, but I think the same principle rings true, that we don't understand the concept that God is able to deliver unto us. We don't recognize His ways, not only in the form of mercy, but in the form of all aspects. We aren't able to comprehend God. Let me suggest to you tonight an illustration of this is found in the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus. We turn back to the book of Exodus. I want to show you an event that happened in the lives of the Israelites that I find very interesting, and it kind of sheds light on the subject that we're talking about this evening. Over in the book of Exodus, chapter 14, we're going to find here that the Israelites had just just left the land of Egypt. Pharaoh had said, hey, look, pack your stuff up. Get out of here. We don't want you anymore. You guys are good to go. And they and they packed their stuff up. Not only did they pack their stuff up, they plundered a lot of the things that belonged to the Egyptians. And they headed to the Red Sea. And then we read that, that Pharaoh changed his mind. 
And he began to pursue the Israelites. And the Bible says that the Israelites saw that Pharaoh was pursuing them and they got to the very banks of the Red Sea. Now I want you to envision this for a moment. There they were standing on the banks of the Red Sea with no other option. There was the Red Sea before them. There was Pharaoh's army behind them. And I want you to notice what they said to Moses in Exodus chapter 14 and verse 11. Then they said to Moses, because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt with us to bring us out of Egypt? Moses, what, what, what have you done to us? I mean, were there not enough graves in Egypt that you have taken us out into this wilderness? And, and here Pharaoh is breathing down our necks. And here we are in the, and we're going to die at the banks of the Red Sea. I want you to notice, if you would, Moses' response in verse 13. And Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, ye shall see again no more forever. Brethren, listen to me. Faith isn't explaining God. It's trusting in Him to do what He says He's going to do. That's what faith is. I think that if we're honest with ourselves... There are a lot of things, biblically speaking, that we just can't comprehend. There's a lot of things that we just don't have the answers for. I think that's why God made the provision in Deuteronomy 29 and verse 29 and said that the secret things belong to God. But the things He's revealed to us, He's revealed for our learning, for our understanding. I told you the other night that I've got a hypothetical son. The one that's going to be going with you, by the way. <laughs> he asked me all kinds of questions, you know. And early on, whenever he was younger, I tried to be the dad that would know everything, you know. I would try to find. And, you know, you've heard the terminology, if you can't make it, fake it. And so what I would do is I would just try to make something up, at least try to get him off my back for the time being. But we're riding down the road one day in the truck, and he says, he says to me, he says, Dad, I got a question. Usually about the time that he said that, I started getting nervous because I knew that he was a deep thinker. And I said, sure, son, what are you thinking about? And he said, Dad, do you know bad words? And I said, yeah, I mean, no, I mean, what do you got in mind? What do you think? What's your question? And he said, well, here's what I was thinking about. When the first man said the first bad word, how did he know it was a bad word? <laughs> and I said, Jonah, I have no idea. I'll just be honest with you, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. And that was probably the first time in our relationship that I decided that, hey, it's okay for me to tell him, I just don't know. There's some things that dad just doesn't know. And I'm going to tell you something, brethren. I'm not ashamed to stand before you tonight and tell you that as a Christian, there's some things that I just fully don't understand. I will never 
in my very limited mind understand creation, how God was able to speak all that we see in existence around us in six days, I'll never fully comprehend that. How God was able to make all this from nothing. But you know what? God doesn't ask me to explain that to anyone. He just asks me to accept it and to believe it. I'll never understand why it was that God felt the need to rest on the seventh day. I never will understand why it was that, 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 that we had to look at the Red Sea and the children of Israel, how God was able to part the Red Sea. I will never understand how He was able to destroy the walls of Jericho. I will never understand God taking on the form of man. And I certainly will never understand God dying. That's beyond my comprehension. But here's what we forget sometimes. We aren't told to calculate or to explain God. We're just told to obey Him. The psalmist writer said in Psalm 46 and verse 10, Be still and know that I am God. In Matthew chapter 24 and verse 13, He tells His children, He makes the promise to His children, He that stands firm to the end will be saved. That's the promise that God has made to us. I'm going to tell you something. These passages emphasize our need to put our faith and our trust in God. God says you walk by faith even though your sight tells you to go the other way. And I'm going to tell you, we have some biblical examples in the Old Testament of that. When you think about David, there's no way in the world that David's sight told him to go Pick up five stones and go fight Goliath. That was nothing but faith right there. Think about Daniel and the lion's den. That's nothing but faith. Heard a gospel preacher one time talking about Daniel and the lion's den. And he said, you know, the reason that the, Dan- that the lions didn't want to have anything to do with Daniel is because he was made of nothing but grit and backbone. That's a man with faith right there. God says, trust in me even when your emotions tells you that it doesn't seem right. As we think about the concept of letting God be God, I want to share with you three points tonight of things that we can do to ensure that we are submissive to God's will for us. Three things that will help us let God be the God of our lives. And let me suggest to you first and foremost that we must understand that in order for our faith to grow, we've got to let God be the God of His, of our lives. And quite frankly, sometimes His plans might be a little bit different than what we had in mind. Now sometimes we find ourselves standing on the banks of our own Red Sea, so to speak, wondering what God has in store for our lives. And it's at that point we must realize that God's plans are often going to look a little bit different than what we may have envisioned them to be. Let me give you some New Testament illustrations. I look back at some of the New Testament examples that we have, and I can't help but think of the Apostle Paul in the book of Philippians whenever Paul finds himself in a Roman prison there. Have you ever thought about the fact that Paul could have been so much more efficient as a gospel preacher if he wasn't locked up for those for all that time in prison in Rome? 
But if you look at what he says there in Philippians chapter 1, verses 19 through 21, he says, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance. Verse 20, he goes on, according to my earnest expectations. And then he closes out there in verses 20 and 21, whether by life or by death, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul recognized that God had different plans for him. Paul was satisfied with the fact that he was allowing God to direct his life. As a matter of fact, there was another occasion that the Apostle Paul tells us about in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 8-10, through 10, when he said that he had a thorn in the flesh, that Satan had delivered him a thorn in the flesh. And he prayed three times that God would remove this. He pleaded with him that he would remove it. Do you know what? God had different plans for him. He said, my grace is sufficient for you. Therefore, verse 10 of 2 Corinthians chapter 12, I take pleasures in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, I am strong. I'm going to tell you something, brethren. If we're ever going to grow as a Christian, we're going to have to recognize sometimes our plans and God's plans don't match up. Paul realized that and he accepted that. Let me show you another example. The Apostle Peter realized the same thing. Over in Acts chapter 12, beginning in verse 5, down through about verse 7, we find that Peter was thrown into prison. And the Bible says that Herod, Peter and James had been thrown into prison and Herod had already beheaded James. And so Peter was next on the chopping block. You know, God could have prevented this. God could have stopped all of this from happening. But the Bible tells us, Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, and a light shone in the prison. And he struck Peter on the side and raised him up and said, Arise quickly, and his chains fell off of him. Oftentimes when you look at God's plans in the New Testament, you've got to dig around and you've got to find exactly what God had in mind, what God was doing behind the scenes. And in verse 4 of this chapter, it tells us exactly what God, or 24, it tells us exactly what God was doing behind the scenes right there. Because of this event, the Word of God grew and it multiplied. You see, these people's faith needed to be tested. They needed to be challenged. Let me give you another example. You remember in the beginning of the church there in Acts chapter 2, God told God had already told the apostles there in the Great Commission that you need to go into all the world and preach the Gospel. And in Acts chapter 2, they began to preach the Gospel, but everybody decided that they were just going to stay in Jerusalem. Nobody left. They all stayed in Jerusalem. And so God changed everybody's plans for them. You know what He did? He allowed persecution to arise. And so things began to change. And so the the Israelites, the the, the first church there in Acts chapter 8, found out that persecution was arising. And the Bible says there in in Acts chapter 8 verses 1, that they were scattered throughout the regions of Judea. The Bible said that Saul began making havoc on the church there in verse 3, entering house by house and dragging men and women off and committing them to prison. 
Well, let me ask you this. Why did God allow this to happen? God could have prevented all of this. Let me suggest to you that God's plans don't always match up to what we can imagine our plans should look like. The Bible says there in verse 4 that those who were scattered went everywhere and they preached the Word everywhere that they went. And so the Word of God continued to grow and it continued to multiply. And so when these brethren were standing on the banks of their Red Sea and they were dealing with these turmoils and these trials in their life, their patience and their faith was growing in God. Brethren, let's never be so arrogant as to think that we can analyze what God has in store for us. He said in Romans chapter 11 and verse 33, Oh, the depths and the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments. Let me also point out to you tonight that in order for us to let God be God, we need to realize that His timing is different than ours and we need to plan accordingly. You ever notice it's often difficult to wait on God? When we live in a day and age of instant everything, we have instant communication, we have instant pain relief, we have instant gratification, and consequently we expect the same sort of response. When we pray to God in our prayers, we expect an instant response from God. We expect Him just to come running when we need Him. The fact is is that all families are going to experience the need for God's help. We're going to have tragedy. We're going to have sickness. We're going to have injustice. There's going to be unhappiness in our family. We're going to get down upon our knees and we're going to pour our hearts out to Him. And it's going to seem as though our prayers are not being heard. It's going to seem as though they're going unanswered. Several years ago, I was listening to an old-time gospel preacher down in Tompkinsville, Kentucky. And he was preaching on prayer. And he made this observation. He said, I want you to remember something. He said, when you're down on your knees and you're praying to God, and it seems as though nothing's happening, here's what I want you to remember. Something's happening. Now that may seem like an oversimplification of God answering prayer. But the point of that is is that we need to learn to be patient. We need to learn to wait on God to act in His time. Do you know what happens too many times? Too many times we lose patience in our life. We, we begin to struggle with things in, in our life and we begin to worry and we get down on our knees and we pray to God and it seems as though nothing's happening. And you know what's one of the first things we do? We give up on God. We stop reading our Bible. We stop reaching out to our brothers and sisters. Brother Josh and I had the time to talk this afternoon. We talked about how important it is that we are able to reach out as brothers and sisters. And as... James said in his book, confess our faults one to another. Why?
while you're waiting on God to answer your prayer, your brethren can bridge the gap to help you in your time of need. We've got to learn to allow ourselves to work on God's time. When God demands that we stand on the banks of our Red Sea and we wait on Him, many of us tend to want to get mad. We, 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 one of the things that we do is we alienate ourselves from our brothers and sisters in Christ. Brethren, let me make an observation. Before we so nonchalantly throw off our faith, during these times of crisis, I want to remind you of the story of Lazarus that we can read about in John chapter 11. If you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 11 with me. The Bible tells us that the story of Lazarus here, that word came to Jesus. Jesus, at this particular time, was, was in the midst of his ministry. And he was, he was several towns away from where Lazarus was. And word came to him that Lazarus was sick. In verse 3 of, of John chapter 11, the Bible says, Therefore the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, uh, Lord, behold he whom you love is sick. Now skip down to verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And so when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. I want you to get this image in your mind here. Word comes to Jesus that Lazarus is deathly sick. Martha and Mary send word to him, come Lord, you've got to get over here. We need your help. The one that you love, he's sick. And what does he do? He says he stays two more days in the place where he was. Verse 17. And when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away, and many of the Jews had joined, Martha, joined the women and around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went out to meet him, and Mary was sitting in the house. Now I want you to notice what Martha says in verse 21. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord... If you would have been here, my brother would not have died. Lord, it's your fault. If you're, it's your fault. If you'd have been here, my brother would not have died. But I want to share with you, if you would, the key verse to this whole passage is in verse, verse 14 and 15. Then Jesus said plainly, Lazarus is dead, and I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go unto him. See, long before Jesus ever made that journey, he knew that Lazarus was dead. And the Bible says that he wanted it to be that way so that he could build their faith. It was important for Mary and Martha to realize that their timing just doesn't match God's timing. Let me ask you something, brethren. Have you ever noticed that God can sometimes be painfully slow in your life in answering your prayers? I shared briefly with you last night. I just mentioned my daughter last night in my lesson and and or the night before in, in, in the lesson on grace. 
And I can't tell you the number of times that when you have a family member that's going through a crisis in their life, and you get down on your knees and you, you pour your heart out and you cry and you pray to the Lord and you wonder, God, are you going to answer my prayer? Are you going to help me out with this matter? And sometimes it seems as though the Lord shows up about four days late in our life. Just like He did with Mary and Martha. I want you to remember this. Our faith will never grow unless we are forced to accept God's timing. Unless your faith is challenged and you're forced to wait on God, your faith will never grow. One more point and then the lesson's yours. Let me suggest to you tonight that in order for us to let God be the God of our lives, I must have done something wrong. In order to let God be the God of our lives, Dependence on Him is necessary, it's critical, and it's mandatory. The passage that I read from early on in our lesson, Matthew chapter 24 and verse 13 says, He that endures to the end shall be saved. I like that word endurance there in the Greek word there because it carries with it the idea of persevering in the most grueling of circumstances. It also comes with the idea of not running away, but abiding and remaining in the midst of the battle, in the midst of the heat, in the midst of the fire. And when you drill down on what he's saying there, he's saying, you hang in there until the end. He that endures to the end shall be saved. Hang in there until God can rescue you. This idea of endurance... When my family moved from Tennessee to Indianapolis, we had two cats. And I don't even remember what their names were. I wasn't much of a cat person myself. My, my parents kind of kept them around to keep the mice away, I guess, or whatever. But we had two cats. They were Tennessee cats. We moved them to Indianapolis. One of them didn't like Indianapolis, so it came back to Tennessee. And one of them was left in Indianapolis. One night during the summertime, we were sitting out and we were had the screen door open. And, you know, the neighbors next door had one of these big Rottweilers. You all know what them kind of dogs are. They're kind of mean dogs and, you know, kind of scary looking dogs. Well, we're sitting there eating in the in the kitchen there and the screen door was open. And we heard the awfulest commotion. And evidently that Rottweiler had gotten out of its cage and had came over into our yard. And it had taken out... Taken out after that cat. And so we jumped up from the kitchen table and we were going to try to save this poor cat from Tennessee and we were going to run out there and we ran out there on the deck and we're looking around for that cat. And you know what that cat had done? That cat had climbed up the side of a brick wall and was about six feet up and it was just standing there on that brick wall just holding it. His claws was buried into that brick. Just like that. Now, I'm going to tell you something. That's the picture of endurance. That's the picture of endurance. You know, and quite frankly, when our faith is tested, there's going to be times in our life where we're going to have to, we're going to have to sink our, our, our nails into the rock of God and just wait on Him to rescue us. He that stands firm to the end 
will be saved. Even if we lose our life on this earth, we'll win eternally. I want you to think about years ago, I'm a big Charlton Heston fan. Many of you remember Charlton Heston, also known as Moses. He played in a movie that I really liked years ago called Ben-Hur. Matter of fact, I liked the actor so much that he, uh, I read his autobiography. And in the movie Ben-Hur, and I highly recommend his version of Ben-Hur, not the latest version of it, but the, the movie Ben-Hur. In his movie Ben-Hur, there is a famous chariot scene in that movie where he races uh, other chariots in that movie. It's, it's really the pinnacle of the movie. And during his autobiography, he mentions that he had to train six hours a day for six months just to be able to stay in the chariot, just to be able to control the reins, just so he could stand there without falling out of the chariot and just make it work to where he could go around the track. And he mentions in his autobiography that finally one day after six months of training, he went to Cecil B. DeMille, the guy who directed that film, and he said to him, he said, Cecil, listen, I think I can stay in the chariot, but I don't know if I can win the race. And Cecil said to him, Chuck, you stay in the chariot, and I'll see to it that you win the race. You know, when I read that, I got to thinking about that. Isn't that what God asks of us? You stay in the race, and I'll see to it that you win. You stay strong. You stay committed to the race that's been set before you, and I'll see to it that you win. Let me share with you one verse, and then we'll close. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6-8, through 8, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day, and not to me only, but unto all those who loved His appearing. Are you committed to staying in the race? Are you committed to finishing the race? What are your needs tonight? Is there sin in your life that you need to confess to these brethren here that you need the church here to pray with you or pray for you? Do you need to be buried with Christ in baptism? Do you need to start right now living for God? You have the opportunity right now to make amends to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. As we mentioned last night, His burden is light. His yoke is easy. This race isn't tough. But there's going to be moments where we're going to have to cling to Him. And we're going to have to hang on. He that endures to the end shall be saved. Whatever your need is, make it known right now while, while together we stand and while we sing.